find it in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, subtitled there, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Very familiar psalm. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away, and they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Thus far the reading of God's word. May God add his blessing to his word. Congregation, beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, today is the last day of the year 2018, and we are standing at the threshold of the year 2019. And there are many people that celebrate this day, although there's not too many people that will be found in church on this day. And it's appropriate and it's fitting that we end the the year in the Lord's house because for the Christian, we face a very optimistic future. We face a very optimistic future because the Christian knows that with the passing years, at the very least, we are one year closer to the Lord's return. We are one year closer until the Lord Jesus Christ returns again in glory to judge the living and the dead, to make all things new, to make all things right in this broken and fallen world. And so the Christian welcomes the new year. But it always kind of puzzled me why the world celebrates New Year's. Because those who are not in Christ do not face a bright and certain future. 
And though there may be a lot of New Year's parties and a lot of revelry and a lot of drinking and a lot of carousing tonight, the fact of the matter is when all is said and done, sometimes I think it kind of looks like a whistling in the dark when you're walking through the cemetery at night. A kind of pretending that all is well when in fact with the passage of time they also know that they are one year closer to meeting their maker. And that can be a terrifying thought if you are not in Christ, if you are in unbelief. And so when we look at Psalm 90, we see something of of these attitudes reflected by the psalmist. We see, we see in Psalm 90 a kind of snapshot of life. A snapshot of life that ends with a beautiful prayer. A beautiful prayer that really we need to take to heart as we stand on the threshold of another year. The psalm begins with really a confession of faith. A confession of faith in which the Christian, the believer, finds a great deal of comfort. A confession of faith that indeed every God-fearing person can make and should make. Secondly, we see the psalmist reflects also in this psalm the reality of life. This is a psalm that does not gloss over the facts of life. And one of the greatest realities of life is that if the Lord tarries, one of these years we all will die. We face the reality of death. We see that in verses 3 to 6. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. You sweep sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up and new, and by evening it's dry and withered. We all die. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. And so in the face of that reality, we also need comfort. But thirdly, it acknowledges that our lives are lived not only in the context of the love of God, but our lives are lived in the context of the wrath of God. All have sinned and fallen far short of your glory, O Lord. Who knows the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. We live our lives in a broken and fallen world that is experiencing and does experience the wrath of God. And last of all, we find the expression of the hope of every believer. 
to live in the everlasting presence of God in his eternal favor and bliss, to experience the fullness of that comfort that is promised in God's word because of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to consider this psalm briefly this evening. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's a psalm that's so appropriate for this time of year. First of all, it begins with a confession of faith. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth, or the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you, our God. Wonderful expression. Wonderful expression and confession of faith. That God knew us. That God was our dwelling place before we ever realized we needed a dwelling place. Before we ever knew God, before we ever were. From before the foundations of the world, Moses understood the doctrine of election that Paul echoes in Ephesians chapter 1. God was there. God had the plan of salvation. God carried it out through generation after generation after generation. Man was created to live with God, to live with his creator. Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden. He lived in perfect fellowship with God, but when sin enters the world, that fellowship is broken. Abram, Abram, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Moses, Moses, rather than experiencing the pleasures of sin for a season, the pleasures of Pharaoh's court when he was raised like a prince in Egypt, Moses chose to cast his lot with the people of God, with the people of, of Israel. Moses, the man of God, who led the people of Israel through the wilderness and who experienced, who experienced the, the struggles and the heartaches of leading a rebellious people, trapped between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh and, and God miraculously opens the sea before them so they can get through the sea on dry ground and then the sea closes in on the pursuing armies of Pharaoh. And shortly thereafter in the wilderness, the people are complaining. Did you lead us here to die? And God sends manna day after day providing for his people. Then they want meat, so he sends quail. Then they want water. And God says, strike the rock, and Moses is fed up to his ears with the complaining of, his, of these people that, that the Lord freed from Egypt, and he strikes the rock, and then he hits it again. 
He disobeys the command of God and water gushes out from that rock because that rock was Christ. That rock pointed to Christ. And God says, Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. And the people of Israel at Sinai, when Moses goes to get the law and he comes down, they're worshiping the golden calf. God punishes them 40 years in the wilderness. A whole generation dies in the wilderness. They would wander through the wilderness for four decades before they would finally get to the promised land. Moses looks back on his life and he says, <coughs> Lord, in the ups and in the downs, you have been my dwelling place. You have been my dwelling place throughout all generations. You are the one who will accomplish your ends and your purposes. <coughs> but secondly, Moses recognizes, the writer of the psalm recognizes, that we live our lives in a broken and fallen world that is experiencing and will experience the wages of sin. And the wages of sin is death. We stand at the threshold of another year and we are reminded of the passing of time that none of us are getting any younger. There is that line in the baptismal prayer that always I find kind of arresting, kind of catches you, huh? You're baptizing a new baby, and then there is that line which speaks of this life as nothing but a constant death, that no one can hold back the tide of time, and that each day we are one day closer to death. We are all mortal. We are all mortal and because of that, because of that, we, we must trust the Lord even more because no one will escape the cold hand of death. I remember many years ago when I was a young man in my 20s. I went to visit my grandfather. He was having a birthday. He was, I think, 91 at the time. And I said, well, congratulations, Gramp. Happy birthday. You're 91 now. And he said something to me that I still remember, and I, I thought at the time, what a strange thing to say. He said, you know, he said, I cannot believe 
where the years have gone. I thought to myself, Gramp, you're 90 years old, over 90 years old. The Lord has blessed you with a long life. And now you look back and you say, it just seems like the, you know, just seems like a, a decade. I, I, I can't imagine where the years have gone, how quickly they have passed by. And I thought, it kind of stuck in my mind. I thought, my goodness, 90 years old, that's a, that's a long life. That's a, that's a long stretch of time. But over the years, as you approach advancing age, you understand what he meant. You get a clearer picture of how quickly time goes by. And so how are we to live in the face of our own mortality? Indeed, when we look back at the bulletin, we can see even in our congregation this past year, eight people have passed away. Robert Lagesty, Martha Blau, Dale Terhar, Laverne Vendrunen, Thomas Heisman, William Harmeling, Minnie Van Kanigan, Harold Bonstra. And I was thinking about that, and I, I thought, you know, I've been in this congregation for almost 25 years now. And that one year has passed without someone's name being read And it's quite likely that in the year 2019, there will be other names that will be on that list and that will be read next year. How then should we live? Well, the psalmist says, understand that life is brief. Life is short. And because life is brief, remember your creator. Bible says, remember your creator. When, you, when do you remember your creator? Well, you do, do it from the very beginning of your life, in the days of your youth. There's no time in life to be sowing wild oats. Uh, remember your creator in the, light, in the days of your youth because life is brief. Uh, and so, because it is brief, it should be measured. Our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Seventy or eighty if there is strength. So learn to measure your life. Teach us to number our days aright. Teach us to number our days aright, O Lord, because life is brief. And what are we to number our days for? So that we may get a heart of wisdom and understanding. What does the scripture tell us? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom and understanding? You find it in God's word. And why should we number our days rightly? Because God has numbered our days. And so if we are to know anything, as Calvin notes, know yourself, all true knowledge consists of a knowledge of oneself and a knowledge of God. And how do we know God? Well, we know God through his word. We know God through his revelation of himself in creation. We know God through obedience. Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so when we look to God's word, we find that comfort that comes from God, that comfort that comes from the belonging to a faithful Savior, even our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we need comfort because we live in a fallen world that is under the judgment and wrath of God. You know, the pastor pointed that out yesterday, and I thought, that's a very interesting point, isn't it? People don't like to talk about a God that might get angry. They don't want to talk about God's wrath. Oh, we can talk about God's love. We can talk about God's compassion and God's mercy. But we don't want to talk about God's justice and God's wrath. A few years ago, there was a large liberal Protestant denomination that was producing a new songbook. And they wanted to include this song, In Christ Alone, by Getty. So they called Mr. Getty and they said, we'd like to include your song in our new songbook. We think it's a very nice song. We'd like to include it in our new hymn book. But we have a problem with that verse 2 where it says that at the cross that in Christ the wrath of God was satisfied. We want to change those words because we don't believe in the wrath of God. We want to redefine what the scriptures say. So could we change the words? Do we have your permission to change those words so that we can include your, your song in our new hymn book? And Getty, to his credit, Keith Getty, to his credit, said No. And rightly so, because those words are biblical. You know, when we look around us, we see a certain optimism that man is the measure of man, that science can solve all kinds of problems. 
And we look around us and we see huge changes in technology. I, I mean, 40 years ago, whoever heard of iPhones or computers or carrying around a computer in your back pocket? You could want to find the weather in Istanbul. You can do that. You can find any, all kinds of information at your fingertips, all kinds of information. A virtual library you carry around with a cell phone. You've got GPS that will tell you where you're at and where you should go and how to get there. And, and you look at this, these technological advances and you say, it's amazing, it's amazing. But you know, in other areas of the social, of society, in other areas of the social fabric of society, we see a certain unraveling. Huh? Computers and the internet, and you see with it the spread of pornography and tash, trash talk on, this, on social media. We see cell phones and GPS and a loss of privacy. We see morality in decline. Marriage, the family, under attack as never before. Since the beginning of human history, there has been marriage. And now suddenly we're talking about gay marriage and, and marriage, sexual changes and, and gender changes. And, and you're looking at the decay in society and you're saying, it's falling apart. It's falling apart. You know, the songwriter Abide With Me and then one of the verses there, a change and decay and all around I see. And that's true, that's true. There is no objective truth. Truth is what you feel. Truth is what you want in your heart. The only criteria for truth is if you are sincere. And as far as the Bible is concerned, well, if you don't like what it says about God, just ignore it, or reinterpret it, or change it. And people are leaving the church in droves. I heard a statistic the other day, and I, I, I've forgotten the numbers. It was 600 or 6,000, I don't know, but it was, it was a, hundreds of churches a year in the United States are closing their doors. Our society is unraveling. Our children will be living in a vastly different world. And you know, you look around at violence and gang violence and school shootings and all kinds of things, and, and, and you look at what people believe. And ultimately, life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. You look around at this world, well, what meaning is there to life? We're born, we live, we die, end of story. The philosopher Nietzsche was right. Huh? It's the survival of the fittest. Life is a rat race. That's all it amounts to. What's the big deal? You're born, you live, you die. 
you're quickly forgotten. And in the face of that, the church sings, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. You see, finally, people of God, in the midst of this bleak picture, what is the comfort for the Christian? Well, the comfort is this. We are one year closer to Christ's return. Or one year closer to Christ's return. That's great comfort, huh? Because he's going to make all things right. He's going to make all things new again. And the Christian looks forward to that. Huh? The Christian looks forward to that time. And that's a great comfort for the Christian. Secondly, we can have this assurance that for the present, nothing can separate us from the love of God that has been shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That whatever happens, the Lord sees us through. The Lord will see us through. He will manifest himself to us in his word and in his works by the power of his spirit. And he will carry on his work until the last of the elect is brought to salvation and we shall see the return of the Lord again in glory upon the clouds of heaven. And so in the year coming ahead, we have to be patient and we have to be faithful. We have to be patient and we have to be faithful. And we have to live in hope. You know, there's a Jewish toast that's usually given around this time of year. You raise your glass and the toast goes something like this. Next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. The Jews of the dispersion, you know, held on to that hope that God would gather his people again in Jerusalem by the temple, that great symbol of God's presence among his people. You know, when Daniel was in Babylon, in exile and captivity, uh, he prayed every day and he, he prayed by that window that was looking toward Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. That's where God's presence was. That's where his heart was. But we know that Jerusalem was a symbol, not simply of a political entity, a capital of a nation, but Jerusalem pointed to that Jerusalem of God. You know, when Abraham came to Canaan, he came to the promised land, but that wasn't the fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of God's promises because the Bible tells us he looked beyond that to a city with foundations whose builder and maker was God. 
He looked even before Jerusalem was built to the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem of God, the eternal being in the eternal presence of his creator, being in the eternal presence of his redeemer. So the saints in heaven join with the saints in earth in this prayer. How long, O Lord? How long? You who are our dwelling place on earth, when will we be with the saints of all time and all ages at our dwelling place in the new Jerusalem? You know, Christ promised that to his disciples before he would walk that last mile to the cross in John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And where is that place? Well, it's home. It's in my father's house. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. It's home. Our heavenly home. The heavenly address we will find in the new Jerusalem. When we will be joined together with the church of all time and all ages. In that late great and glorious city whose builder and maker is God. That city that Abraham looked for, that city that the saints throughout the ages have looked for, that city that the saints even today look for. Maybe it'll be in 2019, only God knows. But that's the hope that every Christian has. And so when the Bible concludes, it concludes with that wonderful prayer, even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. O Lord our God, we give thanks for the wonderful promises of your word, that your favor will be upon us, and that indeed you have shown us your favor in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we may face the future, we may face the next year with confidence and with hope in the assurance of faith, knowing that whatever comes our way, that in the end all things will work together for our good, for the good of those who love you, for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. And so we pray, O Lord, that in that sense and with that spirit, we may indeed have a blessed and a happy new year. For Jesus' sake, amen.